Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And we're live. Holy moly. So really excited. We're both really excited, actually, to get into this thing today. Uh, my guest, I just can't wait to introduce her. She is a CMO with this really powerful background. It's very interesting. It's sales, accounting, and consulting, and marketing all mushed together. And it makes this really interesting uh, viewpoint of, of a CMO, of a, a thought leader in the marketing space. High energy, high energy. And also what I've really loved is there's a very real clear sense of, for ABM. I know there's a lot of fluff out there, but she really knows what's real, what tech is needed. Um, another one of her marketing superpowers is tapping into the, the power of predictive intelligence, which I know very little about um, comparatively, so I'm looking forward to learning. Also the host of Talking Sense, um, a podcast, and CMO of Sixth Sense, Latiny Conant. How are you? I'm awesome. I've been really excited about today because... I don't get to smash things very often in my life. And all You're I right. want to say is smash. And you told me you want to smash a bunch of things today. And, and yeah. so what I was going to tell people is that the, the, the theme or the, the show here today is it's our marketing leadership series. So talking to you know, senior level marketers, a CMO, and then getting the real sense and learning from you. And so the best way we can do that is smashing myths and marketing strategy that's completely bogus. So here you go. This is for you. This is Thor's hammer. So take that and smash for me some bogus marketing strategy, some goofiness, the things that you hear that just drives you crazy that you want to like set the record straight once and for all. All right, let's do it. Um, how, many, how much time do we have? We have I'm all the time in the world. Five, but I could go all day. So let's start. Gigabytes on this computer so we can record <laughs> 24 um, hour stream. You know, let's do this. Let's get into it. So the first one that I want to smash is actually ABM. Um, so yeah, shots fired. Let's do this right yeah, into it. Let's do this. I think it's just good marketing. And I feel like what's happened is it's gotten really out of control as this buzzword and everyone and their brother um, calls themselves an ABM technology and ABM means if you ask 10 people, you're going to get 25 different answers. And Absolutely. we just got to cut through the noise and get back to good marketing. And to me, good marketing and the roots of what makes great sales and marketing and customer experience is the customer. And so right. I think about, I don't think about my own tech and my own team. I think about the prospect and I feel like we've lost that. Mm. And we've all got to go back to what kind of prospect experience do we want to deliver and can we be proud of? And I think if you design your go-to-market strategy around the way um, buyers want to buy today, you're innately going to do and execute the practices of ABM. Got and it. So almost in the reverse order, instead of being so wrapped up in- We're too much into ourselves. Buzzword. And you're right. You know, I hate that buzzword stuff, you know, like 
That's why I never listened to New Kids on the Block because everyone else did. And I just, I rejected oh, it. I kind of like New Kids on the Block. Yeah, same here. High five. Now I'm embarrassed. Just you and me. Nobody else knows. I want to like unpack that more though. Yeah, because let's do that. saying ABM is, is BS. Okay, where does that leave us? And when I say look at the prospect experience, what am I talking about? Well, prospects, first of all, want to be anonymous. So we just need to embrace that. They're not going to fill out our forms. If they do fill out the form, they're putting Mickey Mouse in it. And we're actually doing ourselves a disservice by not allowing them to consume and learn from our valuable content that we spend so much time on. Um, so we have to understand that they want to remain anonymous and have a good way to actually pick up and uncover um, all of that rich data that they are doing anonymously. And so I talk about with my team, the dark funnel. And I think marketing for the most part owns and needs to help sales uncover that dark funnel. Once you know about an opportunity, like that's, that's kind of the easier part. Like there's right. so many sales systems and apps within Salesforce to help you forecast, but that's all the data you know about. The, the real gems are in what you don't know. So and the dark funnel? Dark funnel, yeah. So the dark funnel is what you don't know, <laughs> what you can't track, what you have no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's when they're researching your competitor, not you. That's when they're, that is, you know, they're listening to podcasts and consuming information like this. They're, you know, there's certain keywords that they're interested in. There's members of the buying team that you didn't know about. Maybe you're just focused on one person. Um, so it's being able to uncover all of that, those rich insights. Um, that to me is helping like expose what we call your dark funnel. And, and so that's step one. But that's really not all you can do because the next step is being able to prioritize. And our problem is we don't prioritize and email is to some degree free. I mean, once you have email automation, it's, it's not super costly to like spam and crank out calls and, and even put out crappy content. Like it's, it's almost too inexpensive. And so, we just go crazy and what we need to be able to do is better prioritize and understand a buying team. Um, Let me take you back real quick um, because devil's advocate, you know, the forms, it's like, you know, marketers can live and die by those forms. Now, albeit really bad ones should just go away for good. But then if you, if you can't track it, I think we're all about tracking and marketing. And so it's almost like you're asking us to embrace the dark funnel and it's like, that sounds scary to, I think, to a lot of people. Yeah, I think, so our rule of thumb, and it's actually funny, I was presenting on something else and someone like dug up a form that, some Sixth Sense form that someone not even here, like five years ago, it's out there, you right. know, it's like, oh my God. So you probably, you might find a form from us from like five years ago. But, you know, my challenge to the team and what's working for us is, hey, if we need information from them to provide value back, so for example, if we are going to give them, like right now we're working on an ROI calculator, and so we're gonna need some input 
to be able to make sure that the output that they get is not random. Like to me, it's fair to ask because I want to give you right. something better, right? right? Or if we do this program called Uncover Now, where you can start uncovering your dark funnel now. Oh, wow. But in order to do that, we need to get your keywords. So we need to have some keywords about you. We need to get a tag on your website. So there's some things that we need to do. Well, that's a fair ask because I'm giving you something better in return for that ask. Totally. It's like a barter, right? Like yeah. you're, you're exchanging something. So that's my rule of thumb. And then my rule of thumb on content in general, and now we're getting into a different myth that I wanted to bust, um, which is content is king. Cause I think we've gone way too, we're producing way too much content. That's oh, for just, sure. Just give me all the search terms and blah, blah, right. terms. Um, so I think about, and with my team, our, our content creation is all designed, again, back to the prospect. And what jobs do they need to do to make a purchase decision? Yeah. What, what because I've worked in corporate, brief stint in corporate America, and it's, it's hard, things move slow, it's consensus driven. So just, throwing stuff at them is actually confusing it even more. So, so where are they in their cycle and what job do they need to get done? Like I talked about the ROI calculator or they need to write an RFP or, um, you know, they need to understand competitive comparison, you know, things like that, that you can help them get a job done. Like to me, that's how we're structuring our content. Right. Um, and to me, that's the kind of flow we want to take people on. Right. So instead of overwhelming them with so much and all that does is just it, it gives them so many more things to think about and you know, corporate America. And if it's already slow, this just gives them more reason to like stay slow. So it's like, just give them enough, almost like that quality over quantity type. Yeah. I mean, our biggest competition every single time is like I call it the law of inertia, but an object at rest will stay at rest. Oh, right. And so that's what we're trying. We're trying to get people to, we're trying to move something from being at rest. And so what, if you think about that cycle and what they need to do, not what you want to do and what you right. want to talk about, right. but what are they going to need to get done? And it's a little different depending on your, you know, how long your sales cycle is, but you can start to actually understand and we have a tool called gong which is awesome and you can start to listen to calls what what questions are consistently coming up in this stage of the cycle okay that's that's something we can use we we should just provide that because every time when we get to this stage this is what buyers are worried about or these are the new personas that enter the the deal um that makes so, so much sense to listen to that the conversation of what people are saying and go specifically at what they need to get done. Would that be something like, well, you got to get your boss to approve this or you got to get budget approved or some sort of internal tactical step? Yeah, for sure. Okay. And that's why I love like the value, but okay, let's take the use case. Let's figure out, 
you know, where let's look at your overall budget because marketing right. is all about trade-offs and we sell marketing solutions. So we're never going to rock in and people are going to be like, oh yeah, we've got like a couple hundred thousand dollars lying around that we were just yeah. waiting to do something with. Right. So they're going to have to say, I'm going to spend less here uh, because I know this use case will get me 10 times more. Right. So helping have those conversations, um, helping them draft, like what is the executive summary on this decision? Why is this a good decision? Um, you know, those type of things are providing help along the process. Um, yeah, I love that. Specifically helping them, you know, enough to help, but, but not, not the busy noise and the junk and, and it just, it gives you a bad image. I, I, w I was sharing a story the other day that I once downloaded this thing. It was like how to use marketing automation and AI together. And I'm a marketing automation guy. So I was like, this is sweet. I downloaded it and it was complete rubbish. It like was, Captain Obvious? Yeah, it was stupid. <laughs> and it, but it was well, well designed graphically, but the content was just absolute garbage dog poop like it was just the worst and it gave me a sour taste in my mouth for that company and then they eventually cold called me of course or something called me after that and i was like look i read your white paper i am not interested in talking to you at all so yeah. you know yeah yeah and you know that's another like you know thread to pull on like the the cold call right yeah um you know, we've got an amazing BDR team and I, my, I, they just recently fell under me and my goal is to make oh, interesting. my prospecting fun for them. Like they shouldn't have to make cold calls. And the way that you do that is you've got to know the timing. You have to know the pocket of when to call. Got and it. for us, we're looking at actually reducing inbound because my goal would be that the BDR calls right in the pocket when they're about to inbound because that's providing help. Oh yeah. Right. And so that's the sweet spot. That's the pocket. And so like inbound to me, I'm will be maybe some bluebirds or maybe like the lower quality, you know, things that come in, but right. I want our BDRs looking at, and you know, what we do is we predict for timing. And so they all have six cents on their dashboards and they can see the signal. They can see, oh, this one's about to inbound. This is what I call, this is what I talk about. These are the things this person is interested in. And then boom, we're right in the pocket. And it's, and it should be fun. How do you know, how do you know that they're about to, inbound and by inbound they're about to fill out a form and they're about to convert they're, well for us we say they're about to be in market and in market means they are going to start a cycle oh right like a buying cycle like a yes. get started buying okay they're going to start a buy cycle maybe with you maybe not with you <laughs> right but what the, what the benefit of being able to look at the dark funnel, because right, the first thing I talked about was we are going to expose the dark funnel. Right. But that's too much. I, I can't spend valuable BDR time calling people that are way early on or not calling the right personas and not understanding the buying team. So true. Yep. So then what I do is I say, okay, this, this dark funnel is really interesting. It's interesting for me as a marketer to run campaigns and stuff like that. But 
from a BDR perspective, I want to be able to use my AI and predictive analytics to track and look for different patterns and say, okay, here they are, they're in market. Now, now is when we outreach with BDRs and they get an alert um, and it tells them, this is the account, they're going into market. This is not, not just the score, because no one believes the score. Here's, right. why, here's why they're going into market. Oh, cool. Here's a heat map of the personas that have engaged red, yellow, green. Here's their anonymous and known activity, first party and third party. Here's where it spiked. Here's the keywords. Go after it. Wow. So you started getting it to prioritize. Is that you, you kind of give them all this information and you're helping them figure out where to spend their time and who prioritize their time. That's all we have. Right. As humans, that's all we have is our time. True. We have to spend it on the best, highest value activity. Um, and it's interesting because not only have we prioritized for them, but we've shown them the dark funnel research. They don't just call and say, hey, what, what keeps you up at night? They can see, hey, I can see mm -hmm. things you're, that are, seem to be keeping you up at night. Let's, let's talk about that. How can I help? So they have that context to be able to have a meaningful conversation, not just some, you know, annoying, in, you know, interruption conversation, but something where they can provide value. Yeah. You know, like I'll talk to that person all day as opposed to politely get the other person off the phone. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's the prioritization and the context together. Cool. And then again, prospecting becomes fun. Yeah, it, it does sound a little bit like voodoo though. Like how, how do you, how do you have like dark web information about people? It's not the dark web. <laughs> oh, okay. Not dark web. My mind is just going places. Like, yes. Casey, get out of the gutter. <laughs> okay. Out of, the, out of the gutter. Okay. Dark traffic. Dark, there's no dark web involved. Um, dark funnel. There we go. Dark funnel. Dark funnel. Um, and I will say, <laughs> I've, I, I have a lot. I have a, a rich history, as as you talked about accounting and um, and sales. Being a data scientist is not there, but luckily at Sixth Sense we have an amazing group of data scientists, and. You know, they just have, we've, we've built an AI, a true big data and AI um, infrastructure that literally analyzes um, all of these, all of these different publisher websites. Okay. And, and so we take that, we um, use a bunch of third party data, and then we have a voting algorithm that kind of deconflicts third party data. Um, we marry that with a customer's first party data, anonymous and known. And then we've ac actually built a uh, proprietary, I think of it as like a, um, a graph that, uh, like a big spreadsheet that matches signal to account. Wow. Okay. So it's like all, all this information coming together and that, you know, when you do all the calculations on your TI-83 calculator, it says like, hey, these people are about ready yeah. to... A lot of smoke comes out of it. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> and we have to feed the hamsters a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Lots of cheese. 
Yeah, to get them to run. Every now and then a strawberry. Yeah. 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 No, but so that's that. That's how it is. Is it's a, huh. it's been built on that, and then but you know again, I go into Sixth Sense and create segments and do stuff, and if you know if I can go in there and do it, it's it's what we've invested in significantly is making it bringing the power of those insights mm -hmm. to everyday marketing and sales teams. Right. So, what would be an example of, um, you should build like a segment in there. What kind of a, and I know this isn't like a sixth sense show, but I'm just this voodoo science. I'm a little curious about how, how this works. Yeah. So I, and, and this is kind of where another myth to smash is around content is king. And right. um, because it's actually changing the way that we work in a pretty significant way. And here's why. Whereas before we would all sit around and say, what campaigns are we going to run? And here's our message and let's work with the agency. And oh my God, it's so cool. And it's got all this sizzle. Now I might say, okay, um, we noticed in the news that a competitor missed a product release and had to recall a release. That's interesting. Interesting. Um, what does that look like? So we can pull the competitor. We can pull. We can pull who's on the competitor today. We can pull who's researching that competitor um, in the market. That gives us a list of accounts to target. Maybe it's a couple hundred. Um, I can then say, okay, well, what do these accounts care about? And I see all their keywords. I can say, okay, let's design ads based on those keywords. Um, quick, dirty, you know, let's mock some up. Let's A-B test them. Okay, this ad, we, we had one that was, this is a true story. We had one that was um, open yourself up to oceans that, or look for oceans of opportunity. And then the other one was, are you tired for fishing for whales in your bathtub? Wow, cool. We think we're hilarious. Uh, so I like it. So we run these. Yeah, the I would click on that just because it's good copy. <laughs> yeah, the whales won. Um, and, and so then we put a budget out, out there. And, you know, we ended up getting a handful of opportunities and influencing a handful of other ones. And we put that together in two days. Interesting. And spent $50. And what, what gave you the information or how, how did you know to then create those ads in that way? Well, because we looked at the keywords. Got what well, people were actively seeking out and interested in. And yeah. And then based on that, we kind of riffed and we were like, okay, here's, here's a couple different things. Let's put it out there and try it. And then you can see effectiveness of then how that's working. Yeah. So then we A-B tested it and that's what we came up with. Got it. Another one was we, so partnerships is a really important strategy for us. Mm -hmm. One of our six strategic priorities. And um, we need to go and recruit great partners. And so we had a, we had sometimes Sixth Sense will find the accounts for you. Like in the, in the instance I just gave you, I just put in the competitor and it found all of the accounts. This one, right. I had a list. We had decided here's 27 and then six cents found lookalikes. So it ended up being 50 partners that we want to go and, you know, try to get them to work with us. Okay. And so again, we looked at 
the keywords. We designed different ads about partnering with Sixth Sense. Um, we updated our kind of channel partner landing page. Um, we drove people, we could see people coming to the landing page. And then we had someone reach out and say, I'd love to partner with you from our target list. And that one was like a hundred bucks. Jeez. So it's just kind of like, we're, we're only limited by, that's why like my other myth is about arts and crafts. And I feel like if you're truly embracing big data and analytics and have them at your fingertips, the only thing limiting you is your creativity. Oh, gotcha. Because now it just becomes about those campaign, uh, like the targeted messages, like the whale one and whatnot. It's having, back to your point, having fun with that. So BDRs get to have fun. Marketers get to have fun because you're getting beyond the, the tediousness of the every new campaign coming out. Yeah. So I'm trying to give power to the people and make our ads as, so we're looking at ways to make our ads as templatized and easy for even a BDR to say, I want to experiment. I just have this one account and I can't break in. How do I run an interesting campaign just for them, for example? Wow. Same process then, right? You just- Same process. Keywords, see what they're looking at. Yeah. What they're interested in. Wow. My thought on this, it really is like an ABM conversation because I'm thinking about, I mean, you mentioned 50 accounts or- it's really like diving deep in, into what people are thinking, but how do you do this at scale? Or is it that that's what the technology is doing? Because I'm trying to like, wow, like going into this, this account, maybe if you're selling the Coca-Cola or, or a whale, then you can spend all day thinking about that one account, but there's probably a bunch of accounts you're going after. Yeah, no. So I break down ABM. The ABM process to me is to select the best accounts know about them, engage the right way, collaborate with sales, and track real stuff. Six steps. And so in order to do that without the AI and big data and insights that I told and and orchestration capabilities, you can only do it for 10 accounts. Right. I mean, yeah, it adds up every, let's add 12. Well, okay. Well, that means we're doing all these other things for each one. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And most marketers have 13, only 13% of marketers have any confidence at all in their data. So right. where, so select the best accounts. Well, how, how, how do I select the best accounts? True. Right. Like, do I ask sales? Do I look at what we do? I do look alike. So even taking that, one step can be extremely arduous. But what I've done is I've said, okay, I've, you know, sales and I have come up with our ICP and that is a segment that is always running. It's always on accounts are moving in and out of our ICP all the time. And that's ideal customer profile. That's my ideal customer profile. And my job, my number one job and my team's number one job is how do we influence that, ICP account segment. So I want to get, I talked about in market. I want to get as many accounts from no activity to awareness to in market. Right. And then it's just how creative can I get micro segmenting off of that ICP. And for some micro segments, I might say, I'm not going to spend a ton on these. Maybe I'm just going to run this small campaign. For others, I might say, 
oh my gosh, this these accounts are in market and they're in our ICP. Gosh, let's run something, a really high-end field event. But I would still look at that and say, where? Where should we do it? Should we do right. it in Arizona? Like, where's the clusters? And so it all comes to like looking at the data to get creative about, you know, the accounts in that ICP. I said no about them. So that's what are they interested in? What's their geo? What personas are engaging? Yeah. Um, and then being able to engage the right way. So based on how much I think I can get out of them or, you know, if I'm just experimenting like with the competitor thing, I actually thought that was kind of a dumb idea, but someone wanted to do it. And I was like, all right, screw it. We'll, we'll put $50 against it. We got some ops. So, Hey, hey. Um, but it kind of allows you to, work through this creative process um to 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 be able to to do that and even like big investments like we just um we're we're all in on serious decision summit it was a huge uh, mm -hmm. program for us and so you know that's a big micro segment off of my icp and that's not just ads, right? That's ads, that's an event, that's a webinar series, that's dinners, you know, that's all kinds of all things. All those different things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How did, how did you target that, the ICP? I mean, I, you even mentioned you know, sometimes knowing who your ideal target is can be a challenge for a team. You know, you work with sales to, to come up with that. Do you recall that process or any best practices of how you concluded I think a lot of people are stuck at that phase. They're not even, they're not even like ABM sounds great. Wait, who are my ideal buyers? You know, and I've talked to people who are like, I'll talk, I'll buy from this group and this group, you know, I'll, I'll sell, I'll sell to anybody, you know, and they can't really limit themselves. Yeah. So for us, um, you know, we well, one of the things we do is we pull in 24 months of historical data. Okay. Um, but, and then that syncs real time. So over time, as your buying profile changes, um, you know, the, the, the big data is going to look at it and, and adjust the ICP. Um, but then it also goes out and finds accounts that have similar patterns. Got it. The ones that you, um, you've sold to in the past. And then you can add certain things on like, like just the lookalike, for example, for us, it might have geos that we're not really interested in right now. Mm -hmm. and so then you would, you know, take those off. Or like Finland, like we're not selling to Finland right now. I mean, I love, yeah. I love Finnish, but it just, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're we're focused on on other things. Or it could have, you know, so so you look, you can start to look at company size too. Like we don't, you know, SMB is not a focus area for us, so we would then start to refine kind of based on those criteria to come up with that. Right. Oh, that's, and then once that's it's important. set up, it's always on and running. Oh, right. So you're getting help from your own tool on this. Oh yeah. It's all in six cents. Got it. I think that's the challenge is that I think when you try to do this manually. Oh, you're screwed. I don't even know how you do it manually. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Like, I, I think people are stuck there a lot of the times. Big, I think bigger companies have an IT team and build a data lake and do a bunch of things like that. I mean, for me, again, I I do love the arts and crafts. I love the creativity. Yeah. Um, and I think the more time my team and I can use tools that 
give us the insights and the analytics that are easy to access and easy to action upon. Like I want the most creative, energetic team right. um, that can go and, and do amazing things. Like, are you fishing for whales in your bath? Like I, I want to do cool stuff, you know? That would be a cool graphic too. I don't know if there's a graphic along with it, but like oh, you're trying you. to like you're fishing and there's like this whale being like, I'm in your bathtub. <laughs> we'll send it to you. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, totally. Do you make it into a t-shirt? Because I would totally do that. All right, all right. We we can do that. Okay. <laughs> well, this is this is cool. You know, it's also funny you mentioned data lake. I had not even heard that term until I started doing the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, they like data pond. You know, yeah, no, I don't want a lake. I, I'm really just looking for a creek. Data ocean. <laughs> oh. Data random body of water. Data bathtub. There we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> oh man! So you know, you mentioned sales too. Um, you know, working with them on ICP, and I think a lot of this ties into ABM too. But even the question around, you know, you mentioned that you own the BDR team now on the marketing side. Well, I wouldn't say own. not own or they, they report to you or how does that work? Yeah. But I, I think that's part of the, uh, BDR, the, that team is such a critical place where sales and marketing come together. And so that you yeah. could argue, I could just as easily argue that it should report to sales as reporting to, to marketing. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think it's like a, you can't just look at the org chart, right? So okay, yeah. yes, we moved from an org chart perspective them to fall into marketing. Um, for now, I don't know if that'll always be our, our recommendation, but um, I think it's more, and, and the head of sales and I are both very aligned and committed to the, to the team and it, and it has to be that way. So right. I don't think you can say I own versus you own. Okay, like, yeah. all collectively own this pipeline number. It's a couple things with the BDRs. We own making them, we own recruiting. And if these people are the future of Sixth Sense and our sales team, we have to really invest in a great recruiting process to get on an, an enablement process around them and their career, because many of them are early in their career. Right. Um, so we have to co-own that. Uh, we co-own the results that they create, which is all about pipeline, pipeline, pipeline. But then we also co-own their future at the company. And in a lot of cases, and you know, 90% of the cases, like I tell them, you, I, you can't be in my organization more than 18 months. Mm. I, I need you on stage winning awards at sales kickoff. <laughs> I need That's you cool. at sales club. <laughs> so this is not the hotel California. <laughs> <laughs> You're not coming here to retire. Yeah. You know, Margaritaville. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do we make sure that they're able to be successful for the long term at the company is, is a big part of that particular team. I think it's so important to, to, to team to people to know what their next step is and where they're going and do they have a future. Um, but I, I will say, you know, devil's advocate, you know, whenever you have like co-owners of things, it sounds good, but sometimes it ends up with like, no one owns it, you know, like, oh, let's share this. It's like, you know, co-cap, no, co-cap is in the sports team is one thing, but you know, like, oh, we're both going to lead this. Uh, we're both going to do this event. And then like, no one does it, you know, 
Yeah. Have yeah. you have you bumped into any of that, or have you how have you how do you co anything with anyone that way, especially sales? Vol, vol. Uh, yeah. So, and I think you're drawing on like sales and marketing alignment in general. Cause yeah. You think about forget the BDRs. We co-own a lot of things together. Um, and for me, it's like there's kind of three key things to aligning with sales. First, which sounds a little bit Pollyanna, but it is about trust. So, you know, I have to trust that the head of sales is, you know, acting on behalf of the company is, you know, smart, capable, like all those things. Likewise, he's got to trust that I'm operating the same way. Okay. Right? And so without that, of course you're screwed, right? The second level is about transparency and transparency actually helps build trust. And to me, transparency is about an open book of um, all the metrics and dashboards. So anybody in the company, anytime can go and see my dashboard, what I'm measuring, how I'm doing, and it, it charts red, yellow, green. So it's not like just numbers and you don't know. Like I have. Right. What does well, this mean? What is that? Yeah, right? yeah. Like, great. I can see your dashboard. I don't even know if this is good. Don't know what it even says. Super yeah. clear. What's red? What's yellow? What's green? Anytime. Um, cool. I also use a strategic planning framework that gives us priorities for the team every single quarter. And that is also shared. So they know these are our top five priorities. This is how we're measuring success of those priorities. I share that to the entire company. Anyone can see again, red, yellow, green. Are we right. on track? How are we doing? Um, and then we talk about ROI of, of programs and like where we're investing. Cause I think that's important too. And, and it's okay to own up to a program not working. Hey, we tried it. It didn't work. We're not going to invest again, or this is why we are investing in this type type of thing. And that kind of gets me to the last point that I think is important for sales and marketing to understand and that's time horizon. So my time horizon is different than Mark's time horizon. Mm. So there are things that I do today that aren't going to be of any better than this quarter and maybe not even next quarter. Right. But that's the mentality I have to have. I have to be able to look at both immediate and longer term. You know, Mark's time horizon is a lot more quarter to quarter, which it should be. Like he's <laughs> got to close out, you know, every single quarter. And so that also is where some of the contention comes, but helping people understand this is the horizon and this is the why. And thinking through those kind of three, three things, trust, transparency, and time horizon. I think if you can get aligned on, on those and have meaningful conversations, then. That sounds like a great recipe for like a really aligned sales and marketing team. Yeah, those are, I mean, that's what I think about. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I guess at that point you don't need to worry about the questions of like who owns what to your point with BDR or even who owns marketing. Right. Or I mean, how many times have we seen this? I know that you, you care about this too. The idea of like, you know, does sales own marketing or vice versa or. Yeah. And I think it depends on the company. Like, there's a lot of factors. It depends on the leaders that exist True. in, in yeah. today, company size. But again, you know, I talk about my 
objective right now is growth and that's not always pipeline and and let me unpack that for a second growth is meeting our hiring plans and hiring the best people so there's an employment brand and there's a culture that i have to be responsible of for and a steward of which i spend 30 percent of my time on oh wow important thing for for growing in a competitive labor market right right um but i guess if you weren't thinking about that you'd be completely neglecting a really important part of the growth exactly or if you think about like our product well i need to be paying attention to the market and you know where is the market going from an industry perspective from a competitor perspective what are our customers asking for and you know, I don't just align with Mark. I also align with the head of product on a pretty frequent basis. Right. Yep. On you know, making sure that we're pointing those investments in the right place. And again, trust, transparency, time horizon. Like, what are we, you know, what are we building? Where are we going? Um, and then there's kind of the the pipeline piece. I like that. That's really cool. Aligning to all those factors, understanding the growth. Tying that all together. Sick. Smash. 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 It's been destroyed. You know, what next? What next? Like, bring it. Just bring what it, Casey. You know, if, if you were to think about your overall strategy, um, you know, to do marketing, and maybe this is just like asking Elon Musk to build, to describe a rocket, but like how, do you have an overall approach to marketing of how you just approach doing that job? Um, yeah, again, I think about, so, um, I think you have to have the right foundation first. And so Simon Sinek talks about the why and things. Yeah, like yeah, totally. And so to me, the foundation of what I need to do brings together culture, our vision and strategy, as well as our brand. And I don't think you can do a great job at marketing without having culture, vision and strategy and brand and thinking about those things holistically. Um, and so that's always step one is to make sure that that's intact and we understand our brand promise. Um, and we have the culture and the people and the vision to deliver on our brand promise. Tell them about the vision part. Cause I think sometimes that can be, I mean, it's, is it seeing to the future? Is it saying this is where we're going, planting a flag? What, what is that vision element? Yeah. I think it should make you uncomfortably excited. Your cool. vision. That's cool. You know, I think it needs like to that. be, you know, and it, and it's not to make money you know, although that that's a byproduct of a vision, but it's, you know, what, where are we going? And, and the horizon is really depends on, I think your industry and vision, whether it, is this a 24 month vision? Is this a 10 year, you know, some companies it's 10 year in our space, things move pretty quickly. So it's, it's like a two year horizon, um, which I think gives you enough opportunity to be bold and be uncomfortably excited about the process of getting there. Um, if you do, if you make the time horizon too short, it's hard to get people to think bold because they're like, Oh my God, I have to go do this tomorrow. This sounds yeah. like a lot of work. 
I can't do that in two months. Like it's impossible. Yeah. Right. Right. So it kind of allows you to like stretch. Um, but it still requires like, if you want to really achieve that, like that still requires a good amount of work right now today. And that's why. And so then once that's established, um, it's about what are those key drivers that are going to help you get to that vision. Um, and to me, you know, every executive or, you know, every one of those strategic pillars is owned by an executive. We report out every two weeks to the team on how we're doing against those. So there's a lot of, again, trust, transparency, timing of when we're going to achieve those things. That's amazing. I love that, that, un that uncomfortably excited, you know, yeah. thinking about like, Oh, what's our vision then make making it not comfortable, you know, like you want it to be like exciting, but not yeah. something that's like, Oh yeah, I think we'll probably do that. You know, yeah. no, it's like, oh, I don't know. We, we got to yeah. really put our brains together for this one. And I tell people too, like if they're, if, so the planning tool we use is V2 mom. And if their methods are always green, I'm like, dude, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> Would like, you call that V2 mom? Yeah, it's, it's a, uh, you can Google it. It's okay. a, it's a planning methodology. It's, huh. it, it stands for vision values. That's the V2. Yep. And then mom is methods, obstacles, and metrics. Oh, cool. Cool, cool, so cool. Your mom supports your V2, if that makes sense. But I like that. Um, I've, I've heard vision value, you know, you know, mission and things like traction, but before. definitely uh, something to check out then for sure. Yeah. Um, so that's the foundation. And then it's about, um, it, you know, how do we drive that growth? And I look at, um, of course, pipeline um, as, as a big leading indicator, of course. Uh, but I also look at things like average deal size. Um, so I want to see where that is and you know how that fits into our overall plan. I look at win rates. Um, and then I look at velocity. And right. those are kind of the four metrics that, you know, I'm always looking at in relation what are those four to again. Um, so overall pipeline. Yep. Um, deal velocity, average deal size, and win rates. Nice. And then I would say, I, well, so that, that's like the overall makeup of the plan. One other kind of side thing that I look at is like AE ramping and enablement because, right. also, but, but that's all a byproduct of these things. Okay. Um, because sometimes you can have tons of pipeline, but if it's taking six months to close and it needs mm -hmm. to be three, then that's going to focus my team's time on, okay, we need a stronger value proposition earlier. We need to create more urgency in the cycle, or we're not engaging enough personas to move these deals along, or maybe our product isn't, you know, easy enough to deploy or, or we need a pilot. So like you look, you could unpack that if that were read in a bunch of different right. ways. Win rates is another one to of course unpack and that's going to have a different strategy um, average deal size is another thing like, um, you know, are we, it, is that declining? Why is that? What's happening in our market or is it improving and how can we continue to improve? So those are all, I think, dials that you've got to optimize to meet your plan. That's really cool. I, and then each one of those, to your point, if there's a red somewhere 
you could then focus some time and attention and maybe some work and build out some things and think of strategies to fix one of those and update one of those and then go on to the next one and go on to the next one. That's, that's a cool way of looking at it. Yeah. So you just, so when I, I call, I call it finding the red, I'm all about finding the red and, um, and then based on where it is, your strategy is going to, going to change. Right. I, I totally get that. Finding the red. I, sometimes I think I, I need to find the green. <laughs> find myself to, you know, I'm really good at looking for the red. You're amazing. There's like so a bunch much. of green here. And then I'm like, yeah, but there's this one red thing here that just drives me crazy. And, you know, everyone else is like, no, it actually went pretty well. Like, no, but there's red right here. But yeah. I love that though, because then you, you it's like you, you see something here and now let's fix it. Like that's optimization. That's marketing. Makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, cool. Well, I've been learning from you left and right here. I've like, I'm running out of paper. It's so cool. Who are you? Where did you come from? <laughs> Where did I come from? Take us back to like, you know, little Latin. Like, how did you always know you wanted to get into marketing? Like, wh where have you come from here? No, I, so, um, you know, I, I went to University of Virginia and I knew I needed to make money when I graduated. And so I looked at some statistics that they put out on a job board and it said the number one, like the fastest positions that get filled are in accounting and they get a signing bonus. Wow. <laughs> money. Like, there you go. Do it. Majoring in accounting. <laughs> Cash money millionaire, right? Let's do this. So um, now I'm dyslexic. So I didn't factor that in. I was more excited about the signing bonus, um, but I made it through. So this was at the beginning of school you found that report or this is at the end? This was at the beginning. This okay. Like, like choosing what major, you didn't even know what yeah. major to do. And you're like, yeah. well, the money's over here. I, I smell fire I, this, yeah. this way. So I'm going to go that way. And then in, even with the dyslexia, you're like, yeah, let me just. I'll figure you know, it out. The numbers and deal with all this math. Are you even a math person? I mean. Math and I have like a love-hate relationship, so, you know. Me too. Me too. <laughs> um, I can do math in Excel. I cannot do math in my head. Agree. <laughs> totally. So I hate that. Like when you're in a meeting and people are like throwing all these numbers at you and like trying to rattle you, I'm like, oh, I just, I really need my Excel. <laughs> right. There's always someone there who goes like, oh, that's 14%. You're like. Yeah. And you're like, where, who are you? That's why you're in the meeting. <laughs> like, thanks for being here. Exactly. <laughs> Brainiac, I appreciate that. I'm not that person. Yeah, me neither. Um, so anyway, so I, I made a run at that. It wasn't, it was pretty boring. Mm -hmm. uh, once I graduated, they gave me my red pencil and they were like, this is a Sally, which stands for same as last year. So you're going to go in and you're going to check off that we do the same thing we did last year. And I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. So that's oh when I was gosh. like, oh, I got to, I got to out. And we had a really cool partnership with Ariba. Okay. And a consulting group. And so I took all the certifications on Ariba and I called the partner and I said, I have more certifications than anyone else on your team. Put me on the Ariba um, practice. She was like, okay. So then I started consulting on Ariba and I oh, worked. Like while the, at the accounting company, you started working with Ariba because you said, oh, they do consulting. And wow, that's really cool. You like earned that business. You like stepped up and you're like, let's do this. Yeah. And then I went client side for a little and then I begged Beck to come back and I worked at Ariba and I was in consulting and then 
I wanted to get into sales. And so I begged my way into sales. Um, and so I, and I did that for a little bit. And then when, you know, Salesforce was blowing up and Workday was blowing up and Ariba got bought by SAP, I decided to join a company called Aperio. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the best moves I've ever made because I just worked with the most amazing, smart people and learned something new every day. And what, what did you do? Then we were marketing there or? So I was in sales. Sales. So, um, There's so much you can gain from being doing sales work in marketing. You know, you just. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. It was yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was a first line seller for a while and then I ran central and then I ran the West and um, it was pretty interesting. Our CEO came to me and was like, we've, we've had some challenges on the marketing side. We'd like you to um, come over and, and help with marketing. And I was like, okay, great. And he was like, well, I just want to make sure that you, your ex, our expectations are clear. You'll never be a Perio CMO. Wow. And I was like, okay. He was like, you don't have the pedigree. You don't have the experience. I need you to help out for a little while, but like, I just, I don't want you to expect that you'll be our CMO. Sounds like a challenge to me. And I was like, <laughs> Let's see how this goes. Yeah. <laughs> and guess who became a Vireo CMO? <laughs> no kidding. You're like, watch me. <laughs> so um, watch me do this. Yeah. So that was an, an interesting journey. And I mean, I just really tried to think about like bring kind of my sales approach to, to marketing and get the team aligned. And we um, accomplished a lot of great things. What was that like? You know, did you already know about marketing after being in sales for so long and had seen the good and the bad of it? Or how did, did you learn like you did with, you know, previous, like went out and got certs? And I mean, how did you do that? Make that jump? Yeah. So it's actually not as hard. I mean, I knew our business really, really well. Okay. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I came with a lot of acumen around our overall business because I had been running, you know, like half the country. So I understood our business model really, really well. I understood our customers really, really well. Um, and I understood our channel kind of go to market strategy. And so for me, and I also stepped into this amazing team that just needed alignment and honestly say no. So my, my biggest, the biggest problem when I stepped in was, um, marketing wanted to accommodate everybody. And when you're global, you have multiple product lines, you are incubating new technology. Mm -hmm. They were just like whipsawed all over the place. And so I just was like, we're going to, we're going to say no. And so we just, we looked at every business unit. We looked at where we were making money, where we were growing, um, what makes sense. I'm like, we're spending all of our time and money marketing this product that doesn't even make any money for us. Like they can do their own marketing. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So some yeah. of them just, Hey, what are we doing? Like we've got to, you know, I need to give you guys space to do amazing work. And the way I'm going to do that is we're going to focus on the stuff that's going to, that makes sense for the company to begin right. with. Right. A little bit of that prioritization you were talking about earlier. It, and also someone with like the fortitude to just say, 
no, that's not how this is working. There's a fresh set of eyes, but also the confidence to say, nope, <laughs> like we're not we're we're focusing our attention over here to have the biggest bang for the buck kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. That was a big part of it um, was just getting, getting people, you, you know, in sales, you learn to qualify out. The last thing you want to do is work a deal and not win. Yeah. So for me, the I'm worst like, ever. <laughs> right? So we have to have. So that was what I did. Is I put a qualification, you know, basic qualification of what we worked on that we knew would make money. Um, and I found the red. Like actually, our our red was win rates. Our pipeline was. We were still generating a lot of pipeline, but we had to we had to think about you know win rates and differentiation. We had to go back to finding our why. So. Um, we did an experiment and we found a certain product, a certain, when we sold a certain product line, then our deals were 10 times bigger and we won more often. Mm -hmm. So basically we designed our whole go-to-market strategy around this particular product line and we enabled everyone in the sales team to sell that product line. Um, and then the rest would kind of come. And so that was a big pivot too, is to, to get people focused, the, the whole organization focused on selling kind of these smaller strategy engagements, but those strategy engagements are what led to like our big programs. Um, so, so a shift in that, a shift in um, what made us different um, and, and focusing on what, you know, I'm like, you, you only have a few minutes with the prospect don't talk about everything we do. Just talk about the two or three things that make us different. Right. And buy into those. Like if they don't believe those are valuable, then that's fine. Keep going. Uh, we'll find somebody who does. Right. You know, I, and I think back to, I, I once had a, a chance to do um, tuxedo like sales sort of at um, bridal shows where I was trying to get people to sign up to come back and check out the tuxes at the store. And that was my sole job. And like, hey, when you get married, indoor, outdoor, skydiving, <laughs> you know, like that was the thing. And <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was like my exposure to like, okay, here you go. Bunch of brides like running around trying to find their perfect wedding venue. And, 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 and that was a lesson I learned was exactly like you described, which is not spending a ton of time. Someone's like, no, or they don't like anything you're talking about. Well, you could, and the people would stay there too. You could still talk to them for the next 10 minutes. It's right. not going to change their mind at all. They're still not a good fit. Um, yeah, save your energy. Yeah, all it does. And then I, I once had someone advise me like, man, don't, don't spend so much time. Like if they're in no, like, hey, you know, have a great day. You know, there's some cake over that way. Try them out. You know, like be on your way as opposed to just trying to grind it out for the wrong, you know, prioritize kind of thing. Yeah, goes back to what I talked about earlier. Who's totally. in market? Let's focus on the people in market. Totally. I mean, it makes 100% sense when you, when you talk about it like that. So very cool. You know, I wonder, you know, as a, an accountant, could you, would you call yourself that? Or would you say as a accounting No, no that was way scholar? too <laughs> do, you, do you think you brought some strengths from the, the numbers background into, into your marketing? Do you think that's had like a... Yeah, I think, well, I think the numbers background and the experience at Ariba brought a real like value centric perspective. Okay. Um, 
because even at Ariba, the work that I was doing was all about like procurement and and prioritizing, you know, where we could save money and things like that. So I think bringing that, like I always think about that from like a financial value proposition of what we're doing. Got it. Um, but I think the sales experience is probably what I rely on the most. Uh, and now, I mean, now if you look career-wise, I've been in marketing a while. And, and I had the choice, you know, I thought about when I went, when I went out to market um, and wanted to make a move and people said, well, do you want to do sales? Do you want to do marketing? And I just love, I love being a CMO. I love this job so, mm. so much. So I don't know. I might, I might really be a marketer now. I, I might know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you tell me. I don't know. Maybe I'm still faking. But No, it's like when you move houses. Hard. You move houses and for a while you're visiting some strange house, but eventually it's just like your house. You yeah, know? exactly. It's like exactly. where you belong. That's cool. What do you like about it so much? What, what kind of excites you to... I just love doing cool shit. (laughs) You know, when everything comes together and you just know that you, I call them mind blowing moments. And I have to have at least one a quarter where (laughs) we pulled something off that no one was expecting and is so cool and interesting that people are just blown away. Wow. Very cool. And that's what I live for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are the, those are the moments. And also. Sometimes it's an event. Sometimes it's a really interesting campaign. Sometimes it's, you know, a, a restructure or, you know, something that we're thinking through or trying something new, but those are the things that just I love. Absolutely. You know, it reminds me, you know, back in the day in marketing, I was, it was like activity based and it was like, well, how many emails did you send? How many of this did you do? And it was never tied to the results. And I guess the benefit of that was you never really were tied to results or accountability, but the downside was you never really knew if you're doing anything or not. Like, am I helping? Like, what am I doing? I don't just want to send emails for a career, you know, for a job. I want to actually do something and make a difference. And so, you know, with technology coming around to start showing that you're having an impact, you can have those aha moments and those, those wow moments to show you that, yeah, you, you affected all this change in this organization. Yeah. Yeah. We did something amazing. We did. I mean, I like to do, I like to take risks too. So, you know, what are we doing? That's bold. What are we doing? Like, we're not going to, you know, we're, we're trying to stamp out all the forms and maybe that's a risky move, but I think it's a calculated risk. And I think in the long term, it's going to create a better prospect experience, which is going to behoove us. Yeah, I think when you go back to that original question of like, if if it's good for the prospect experience, it it almost doesn't matter what it is and like what rules you're breaking and whatnot. If it's good for the buyer, it's going to be good for everyone else at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. So So, yeah, question. Doing cool shit. (laughs) Yeah, just crushing it. You're, you're seeking out the red and the metrics and all that. Yeah, find awesome. the red to go fix. Yeah, like, Ooh, where's the red today? Yeah, that's, yeah. Awesome. that's so cool. So cool. That's what I love. And so, I have a question too. So my question to you now is, you're a CMO, you're kicking ass. Like, 
thinking back to when you first got into marketing, I know you're, you're an experienced salesperson, but like, let's say you were going to advise yourself when you just get out of school, you know, for your career, you know, sales and marketing, really, what would you tell yourself? Like, what would you advise yourself, you know, as you just graduated, you know, some lessons learned that you could just sort of pass on early? So, you know, I think early on, I um, stressed out way too much and I worried way too much and I sort of didn't think I could be myself. Um, you know, I felt like I had to fit a certain persona. Maybe that's the accounting persona that I had in my mind right. or, um, you know, and it, I, I, there was a little bit of a culture of like you talked about activity based, like how late were you working last night and how many trips yeah. did you take? And like, Oh, you know, I was online till whatever. Um, and like all that's bullshit, you know? And as I got later in life and I think Aperio and the, the, the CEO and the leadership team at Aperio taught me so much about culture and that having work at having fun at work is like a top priority. And that doesn't mean like goofing off and playing foosball all day, but doing work that's meaningful, having best friends at work, building a great team, celebrating success. Like we have this thing, we had this thing at Aperio and I still do it today, which is I measure my team's fun factor. So how many days out of 10 are you having having fun at work? And I strive that eight out of 10 working days, you're having fun, you're motivated, you think your work is meaningful, you enjoy the team. And that was a pretty profound shift to be able to embrace that and also embrace kind of my own personality and who I am. And, um, and that was the difference maker for me. And so I would go back and tell myself it's cause I, I remember telling my husband, he was like, well, you should have more fun at work. And I'm like, it's a job, honey. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm like evaluating fun factor. So I just right. I caught on to that earlier. Right. Have, have more fun or, or find that role where you can have fun. And my job as a leader is to help create the fun. Right. That's why people want to work for you. Right. How, how do you create the fun? Um, I mean, some of, like, I think we don't take ourselves too seriously and, you know, allowing like a safe place where, you know, we're all going to screw stuff up. Let's mm -hmm. talk about it, get over it. I don't take myself too seriously, which I think is, is helpful. Um, we, you know, I believe in a hundred percent remote. So, and everyone can be wherever they want to be, um, yeah. which is good and that people have a lot of flexibility. Um, but it also is a challenge to make sure we feel connected. So like when we do big programs, I try to all be together and spend some time just doing something together. Um, you know, whenever I'm I, on the road, which is a lot, I'm like, I love soul cycle or I'll run. Mm -hmm. or, so we'll yeah. like go on a jog or a hike or just like get outside. Um, and try to like, just allow them to come up with what, what fun could be. But again, it's not really so much about the goofing off. I think it's more about 
the fun is about that vision that makes you uncomfortably excited and, and knowing you've got a really big piece in tackling that. Like, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you're part of it and you're, you've got a cause, you've got a, a challenge to go after. Yeah. It's a cause, not a job for us. I oh, love that. Love that. Well, you're fantastic. You're fantastic. You're fantastic. <laughs> Where do people connect with you? Where, are you going to be at any events coming up and, you know, speak, speaking anywhere that we can track you down and say hi and, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, what's the, what's, what's yeah, good? Definitely LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and definitely follow six Sense on Twitter and talking okay. sense as well is on Twitter. Yeah. Um, the podcast, right? Talking sense. Talking sense. That's on YouTube of great episodes coming out. Okay. So I've got a lot of really amazing guests and I'm speaking at B2B in the black coming up, which is kind of a cool program. It's about bringing finance and marketing together. How about that? Boom. There it is. That's you. Talk about the moolah. That's you. Uh, So that's going to be a fun one. Where's that at? It is all up and down the West Coast. So there's a bunch of different locations for that one. So you should definitely come, Casey, and welcome people to come to that. And I'm trying to think what else. We're kind of gearing up for our our Q, our our big fall events. We have a big webinar series that I'm hosting with a bunch of our customers called Meet the Six Senseis. So I love that. So our brand. about the art and crafts, right? Meet Exactly. So our brand promise is um, we believe that by putting the power of AI and big data behind members of the revenue team and allowing them to know everything that they can go and do anything. And so that's know know everything, do anything is our kind of our tagline and brand promise. So we came up with this concept of the sixth sensei, which is who we want each of our customers to be able to be. And we give out awards around that. And so some of our top six senseis are, are going to share what they're up to. So that should be a good series coming up. And are those like customers, like customer stories? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. And they're the yeah. senseis. Learn from other people doing this, not necessarily from yeah. us, but from other people. Yeah. I'm just introducing them. I've got an easy part. Take it away. Exactly. Exactly. You're like, you're like the ringmaster at the circus. Just like put these people out there and, and they, them do it. that'll be amazing. So good. Okay, great, 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 great. Um, all right, so we'll be, be on the lookout for those. And, and by the way, for everyone else listening, show notes, we'll put links to all these things in there. So you can just click and um, click away. on there. Yeah, okay, awesome. Very cool, very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. This has been fantastic. Just having fun, smashing myths, throwing down, and I've been learning a ton. Thank you. I, let's, let's do it again soon. Totally. There's so much to smash. Totally. It will just, we'll just keep smashing. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's plenty more that we can bump into and like, yep, yep. Time to crush that. But I mean, I, I love fun and it's one of the core values of my company, but I mean, I love learning from you and your approach on that. I think, you know, more of us in marketing did that. We'd have more people where they're just in the fun zone, you know, feeling like they're, you know, eight out of 10 days, eight out of 10 days. I love that challenge. I love that. God, has been thrown. Thank you again for being on here. And for everyone else listening, if you learned something, and I know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes, I've run out of space, I'm like doing 
cute little infographic drawings because I don't even have room anymore on this. I've learned a ton. So if you have, share this with someone. Get it in their hands so that you become a thought leader by getting this out there in their hands. Maybe we can all learn and we can all be in those eight out of 10 fun zones. Um, and for everyone else, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time. Peace.